Welcome to The Intern Whisperer. The show is all about the future of work and innovation. All right, so today's Intern Whisperer Tip of the Week is from Dr. Gary Chapman, who wrote this great book called The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace. He also did The Five Love Languages, if anybody's in a, a partnership relationship. Anyway, um, each week I've been sharing one of these great tips. This is the last week, and this is about physical touch in the workplace. We all know there is a lot of things that have come out in the past few years, the Me Too movement and everything. So what is appropriate? Pats on the back, fist bumps, elbow bumps, mm. handshakes. Those are all good. You just need to make sure that whatever the touch is that it is uh, something that is appropriate in the workplace and not misinterpreted. So just be wise employers. All right. So today's guest is Joseph Simons. Thank you so much for being here. He's the founder of the Center for Micro Entrepreneurial Training. Howdy there, Joseph. Oh, you're going West Virginia hillbilly on me. Oh, I like no, it, I'm a it? Kansas girl. So oh. I'm going to be going Kansas is what I think it is. Okay. Howdy. Howdy. How are you doing? I am doing well. <laughs> I love it. So Matt and I take turns with these. I'm going to give Matt odd questions this week, and I'll do the evens. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, tell us about yourself using only five words, please. Oh, five words. Uh, let's <laughs> see. I'm going to start off with, I guess, what my wife would say. And she said she would say impatient. By nature, I'm reserved. Also, I'm analytical. I would say I'm very focused. And the last one, I think, would be disciplined. Mm -hmm. I'm very disciplined. I comes from not from military training, but the corporations that I've worked for in my career have all kind of given me that that discipline that I need mm -hmm. as well as the focus. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. You go to your wife and you get the honest answers, right? Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> it's like I gotta go to my girlfriend so I can get the honest answer. The five descriptors are way different than the ones I'll give you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My wife That's is always funny. good for uh Reality checks? Yes. Yeah, yes. reality uh, checks yeah. are good. Um, why those five words? When I, I guess, you know, when you do self-awareness, self-diagnostic, mm -hmm. when I look back at, you know, we're all kind of creatures of my of your mother and father, right? Oh yeah. Um, so if you if you put the two of them together, that's kind of me. You know, my my mother was very reserved. Uh my father was very disciplined and and focused. Who was impatient? Uh my father. My oh, father was very impatient. Yeah, my mother was very, she was very uh, pragmatic, very uh, prim and proper, even though, you know, we grew up in the coal fields of southeastern West Virginia. But she had a knack about her. Um, she was very analytical. Uh, my father was more, more outgoing, extroverted. You know, mm -hmm. being a minister, my father was an AME minister. That surprises so, me. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he was, uh, so he was very disciplined because of the church that, that we grew up in. They were, you know, they, you know, it was very disciplined. Everything was, you know, you know, step one, step two, step three, step four, mm -hmm. and then it's the end. So I, I got that from him. Uh, so yeah, those, those two pastors people. are very charismatic and very, obviously you said, um, extroverted, very friendly. They're supposed to be warm, but not always. So you know, it's funny you say that in that the Methodist church is totally different at that point in time. You know, we're talking between, very reserved. Yes, very reserved. Uh, the Baptist church was fire and brimstone. Yes. You know, uh, the Pentecostal church was fire and brimstone. Yes. A lot of music, a lot of singing. Mm -hmm. You know, the Methodist church was very, you know, stayed. It was this way. We started at 11 o'clock. We finished at 1. Yeah. We went through each section. So, 
you know, that's that's very white bread. Yes, yes. There wasn't a lot of shouting or or people, you know, jumping up and down, but or nobody even raising their hands. Yeah, there you go. That is very, very true. I know that's true. So um, that is interesting. Anybody entrepreneurial in your family? No, no, um, no. I no, no one was entrepreneurial. Uh, But when you look at discipline and focus, you know, and you're talking about being a minister of a church there's the financial aspect that you always mm-hmm. have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my father, you know, he built three churches. So he was always in the process of trying to acquire money, you know, spreading money out, uh, you know, making sure ends met. So I would say that would be the entrepreneur, just just starting a church and, and or even, you know, resurrecting a church from the dead that he had oh, to do yeah. a couple of times. So that was the entrepreneurial aspect of it. But my mother was... Uh, you know, for lack of a better term, she was a maid for this uh, Jewish rabbi in Beckley, West Virginia. And he would always, she would always bring me these books. So I got to read U.S. News Report, Time, Newsweek. And that kind of fueled my interest in business. That is a really touching story. He sounds like an incredible man. I mean, for accomplishing three churches and everything that he did with little education and especially coming off the backs of slavery and things like that. But it was a great environment for us because there's five of us. There's I've got two siblings, uh, two bro- uh, two brothers, and two sisters. Uh, Are you the oldest or the baby? Or the I middle? am the baby by 20 years. Oh my God, you are the most interesting. Okay, he is now Dosecki's man. <laughs> He's up there with my brother because I put my brother up there. I said, "You're the most interesting man I know." So I have a, just a few, but you have just gone right on up there. These stories are going. This is going to be a great show. Is all I know. Oh, the pressure's on me now. But oh my God, you don't have to put that pressure on you. You just tell those stories because that's amazing. Let's talk about your background. You said that you went to Marshall. Well, I could talk about this because there's that great movie. We're going to talk about the movie and then also how you ended up to where you are now. So what is that journey looking like? Uh, let's see. I was uh, born and raised in a small town of 800 people called Lester, West Virginia. Mm. It was. Uh, and I know that people would say this. Hey, mama, daddy. <laughs> they, but I don't even have the twang down because, you know, my ex-husband, he was from that area. And I noticed that within two days I had it down and I went, where did this come from? <laughs> from Virginia. <laughs> it was amazing to me. See, that's one of the things that always gets me is that, you know, Virginia was, you know, West Virginia was carved off from mm-hmm. Virginia. So invariably, when I tell people I'm from Leicester, West Virginia, they always say, oh, that must be so nice to be from Virginia. No, I'm not from Virginia. I'm from West Virginia. We were with the Union side, not the Confederate side. Oh, I didn't know that. So, yeah, I grew up in a a very small town. It was a a divided town. I went to uh, my first seven years. It was a segregated school. It was a uh, three-room school with outdoor toilets. And then we went to integration happened in 64 and so that changed. And then I went to Marshall University. I, I graduated from Marshall University in 73. I was there right a year after the plane crash. And uh, one of the, I guess, one of the urban myths that we've always heard about the plane crash was that they changed pilots. When they flew into, I think it was Carolina, the pilot that flew back did not know the topography of the Huntington Airport. So literally, he banked right into the mountains, and that's and that's what wiped out the uh, the team. So really, there was only I think three or four members of the team left. 
uh, that didn't go. That didn't go on the flight, yeah. And uh, one of my close friends, Gene Nance, he transferred from Buffalo, University of Buffalo, to Marshall, and we became close friends. And, uh, yeah, I was a political science major. He was a political science major. Um, so then I left. I graduated from Marshall, started my business career as a distributor rep. So at that point in time in the late 70s, early 80s, they always had your career as a pyramid. You start out with, you know, general products, and then you want to work your way up. So I started out in general distribution. Then I went to work for J&J. Then I worked for a specialty medical device company selling uh, uh, lower loss beds for wound care. And then from there, I moved over into pharmaceuticals and I did the rounds. I did big pharma. I did mid-sized pharma and then startups. And I retired once in 2015. Didn't stick. Retired again in 2017. Didn't that one kind of stuck. And then uh, finally, 2018, 2019, I, I, I've done it. And it kind of worked until like May of 2020. And then I decided, you know what, I, I just can't sit here and do nothing. And I, I found the Center for Microentrepreneurial Training. So in a quick a Reader's Digest version, that, that's, that's my career. Uh, that's, yeah, that's been my career. Yeah. So you retired and then you picked the time where everybody wanted to retire or everybody had to retire to come back to work. 2020, where everybody yeah. had to go home and stop working. You want to I don't to work. know if that's retiring. I think it's, it's not just, retiring. No. But, yeah, but it was uh, forced, uh, forced to change how we work. Yeah, yeah. And it, I guess it was a moment. Mm. You know, you always think about moments in your life where you want to do something, you want to contribute. And uh, I'll never forget, I was, you know, I'm a religious watcher of CNBC, Squawk in the Morning, and uh, they were talking about George Floyd and the number of corporations that were coming forward to do things, to, uh, to really invest in the, in, the, in the black community. And I thought about my career, and one of the things that I was always known for was access. You know, I knew how to access people. People tended to like me. I tended to get things done. And I thought am I just going to sit here for the rest of my life and just watch this moment kind of and not do anything? Mm -hmm. And at that time, I was volunteering for SCORE, and I was in the middle of doing uh, evaluations for PPP and EIDL for, uh, again, during the pandemic for businesses. And at least 60% of the businesses were being denied because they didn't have their financial paperwork in place. They didn't have W-2s, W-9s, all the necessary things to really fund their business and keep their businesses alive. And it really affected three buckets of, of individuals. It was women, black and brown entrepreneurs. They were really impacted by it. Mm. And I thought at this point in time, I had this idea that I said, I think, you know, one of the things that we could do is focus on, focus on financial literacy mm. or just getting an understanding of, okay, these are the fundamentals of doing business and do it on a virtual platform. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I came up with the idea. And then I also thought about my dad. You know, my father, you know, being a minister, he always built things. You know, he was always good at going in and, and like having this vision of, okay, I see what this church is going to look like. And then just kind of developing, you know, he'd get out a piece of paper and, and kind of sketch it out what he wanted it to look like. I did the same thing. I had a notepad and I kind of sketched out, you know, what my plans were. And then I just worked on it from there. It was just simply a matter of developing it and, and finding the right voices to help me. Mm. Um, I want to go back to Marshall because some of our listeners uh, may not know what that is. So Marshall, where is the school? Marshall's located in the Huntington, West Virginia. The enrollment is probably between 10 to 15,000. Mm -hmm. It's a, uh, it really, you know, at, 
that time when I was here, it really had a strong political science department. And uh, I was an intern there mm-hmm. with uh, one of the uh, political science professors. As a matter of fact, uh, talking about six degrees of separation, the chapter chair for SCORE is Lois Perry. Oh, yeah, I know her. Yeah, she's delightful. Well, Simon Perry, I was the intern for at political science, and he's her uh, brother-in-law, I think, brother-in-law. Oh, so small when we world. Saw, it is. I mean, she grew up in Logan County, and I grew up in Raleigh County in, a, in about the same time. So it was this, mm-hmm. we have this, and as a matter of fact, she was born in the same hospital that I was born in. So we always kid about that. We were. Small world. It thing. really is, yeah. But we'd all so, wind up in Orlando, Florida. Uh, Marshall is a mixed race yes. school. Okay. Yes, it was. Yeah, it's it's probably uh, not as heavily black. Probably, I think when I was there, it maybe was eight percent, eight percent black. So yeah. And so what um, you were referencing earlier is that there was this uh, accident that had happened, where a plane had crashed and it had all of the football players on there. Uh, ages of the players probably ranged eighteen to probably twenty. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But think about this. Yeah. Not only on the plane were the players, but it was also the city fathers. Mm. Oh, my goodness. So you're talking about, you know, people that were business owners, people that were civic leaders were on that flight. So when it crashed, it really, you know, set back Huntington, West Virginia yeah. by a lot. But also, I mean, just. The impact on that town was tremendous. Yeah, and and the team, you know, the the uh, the four survive. I think it was four surviving players that didn't go because of injuries. You know, they just they felt guilty. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And then, you know, you know, you're talking about 1971, 72. Mm-hmm. There really wasn't the mental health part of it for them to deal with. Right. So, you know, Gene was telling me that there would just be fights in the locker room and this anger that was permeating the locker room. And they just they just had a, even one of the coaches that didn't he didn't go on the flight because he had a recruiting trip in Carolina. So again, Isabella, he had the same feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, why was I not on that plane? Mm. So he Because was, there had to be somebody to go and rebuild. Exactly. I hope that's really where you're going to tell me. <laughs> that's where they finally got to this place is we are Marshall. Yes. We represent all of these people. Our job is to rebuild. And then in the movie and the, and the story is that they were able to win the one game. And they got help from Bobby Bowden, who passed away this year. Mm. From uh, He was at WVU at that time. So they were able to, like you said, regroup, refocus and really come together as a team to win to win that one game and to kind of get them up and going. Mm-hmm. And since that time, I think they won two And they won it fair and square. Nobody gave it to them. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's true. There's no school because they wouldn't have done that. Right. You know, it had to be like a real game. Yeah. So it, it's been nice to see the journey of Marshall since I left with the fact the football team, the basketball team. The basketball team was, as a matter of fact, Mike D'Antoni, who was the coach of the Houston Rockets, LA Lakers, New York Knicks. I played against him in high school. Oh, wow. So you were an athlete also? I would not call myself an athlete. (laughs) In college, yes, we all are. No, no, no. Uh, You know, he scored like 50 points on me. Yeah, he was a tremendous tremendous basketball player. But yeah, I played... uh, I played basketball in, in grade school, high school. That's what kept me from the piano, as a matter of fact. Oh, Mom, I'm going to be in the NBA. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, you know, uh, one of the things my mother did do for me, though, and my father, they sent me to um, to Joliet. And there in the summers, it, you know, you talk about how wise your parents can be. 
uh, they wanted me not to have an accent because they felt like if I had an accent, it would be a detriment. You have no accent. Yeah. So, uh, so I would go to Cleveland to my brothers or I'd go to Chicago with my sisters and they all had kids. So you lose your accent. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, that's so I, yeah. you know, invariable, but when I go back, I might say a little Southern things like my wife will say, whenever you go home, I always hear ass <laughs> and I love biscuits, you know? So it's like those two things as a Southerner are in, you know, in, you know, they're deep in my bones. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's what's it's part of the DNA. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, that's what got me from, you know, from basketball to business was the fact that I wasn't going to make the NBA. And what was it about business or entrepreneurship that really like drew you? I think, well, remember, it was a kid, so you got to go back to that time. Right. You know, it, I just enjoyed the numbers and the knowledge. You know, I'm, I guess I've always been curious. Mm. So I've always been curious about greatness. And when you read, you know, at that time, you know, like you talk about, like today, you've got podcasts, uh, you know, you've got LinkedIn Live, Facebook Live, where you really have access to greatness. Right. You can mm-hmm. access, you know, great people. Well, at, you know, growing up in the 50s and 60s, you had to read it. Mm-hmm. So, That's true. you know, you'd have days where I would just read and read and read. So I'd read about, you know, the Rockefellers. I would read about the Mellons. I'd read about the Scaifes and how they built things and how they built businesses and what those businesses did. And I was just always intrigued by the dynamics of business. Mm. You know, how you can take a product and sell it to somebody how you can take an idea and build it into an Apple or Spotify. Or- it really is giving a tribute and homage to your uh, father because he built things. You said yep. he built things. So that is what you did, too. Yep. You just yep. focused on a yep. different but type also, of entity. But also the people part. You know, I, you know, as, as a salesman, I was kind of the lone wolf. You know what they say, you know, you go out and you kill what you eat. Right. Yes. And then, you, you know, my path was, you know, to get into management. And when I got into management, I was still my father's son and my mother's son in that my father had great people skills. He never criticized people. He never gossiped. Uh, so he was always fair. And mm-hmm. one of the things they teach you in management, you have to be fair and consistent. And that was my father. My mother was pragmatic. It was always about the numbers. You know, I'll, I'll never forget the time I was, uh, you know, I was doing something. I came inside. And it was the first of the month. And uh, she had this piece of paper out. And at the bottom, it had $100. Hmm. That's how much they had, $100 for a month. Wow. Did you guys have your own farm? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So we learned to barter. You know, if I had this and you had that, Matt, I would trade this for that. And I never kind of understood, well, why am I taking this box to, you know, Miss Mitchell or Mr. Miller or Miss Johnston? You know, we were bartering. And then in the in the falls, I'll never forget this. And I know it's inhumane to say it, but we would kill hogs in October and November. Mm-hmm. And just the, the, just that, that I can still remember vividly that smell of fresh sausage and how great that was. You know, there was oh. no, you know, there, they weren't fed up or like, you know, anything with chemicals. They were just right, right there. So, again, everybody shared. Everybody in that holler you know, got a piece of that hog and we shared, you know, we had chickens and, uh, we had hogs. My God. I mean, it was, it was also, you know, I always tell people, I always had two pair of shoes. I had brogans in the winter mm-hmm. and I had, you know, tennis shoes or Chuck Taylor all-stars in the summer. Now if I wore them out, 
That's what you had. Yeah. You go and get the cardboard. (laughs) You know, you know, you had cardboard. So, so, but everybody lived that life. Mm -hmm. So you didn't know you were poor. I mean, if, you know, all my buddies had tennis shoes, all my buddies had brogans. We all had sleds. We all, we all had this shared experience. So we didn't know what wealth was. We didn't know, you know, we just did, but it's a different interpretation of what wealth is. Yeah. Yeah. But I I never wanted for anything. I never, so it was, it was, yeah. So yeah, just, just that led me into business that yeah. you know, how to manage a budget, you know, how to direct people, you know, how to listen, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. So yeah, it was, uh, it was very interesting to get to grow up in that house and the mm-hmm. things that the both of them gave me for business. So why did you decide to start this business that you have now? Because I mean, I get the fact that you noticed that there was a need in the market, women and, you know, minorities, they had this gap from doing all of that PPE stuff. You could actually help all of these different um, groups be able to get their act together, is what I would guess. So that's why you decided to do it? Um, a little bit of that, but also, yeah, I guess you've heard the statement, you want to leave some kind of legacy. Always. Yes, I do. You don't want to be on this earth and have this opportunity and not do it. Yeah. You know, with my years from score, my years in business, I had access. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I you know, I, I had access to a lot of people. So why not use that access to help other people? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just finished up a class uh, last Thursday. And uh, one of the participants, she had two daughters. And one of the things we trained them on is elevator pitch, value proposition, differentiation. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she said that, you know, she was working and uh, her two daughters came in and said, what are you doing, mom? Well, I'm working on my business plan. I'm also working on my value pres- proposition. And they said, oh, can we hear it? Mm-hmm. So think about it. These kids are seven and eight years old. They're seeing their mother put together a business plan, mm-hmm. start a business. So let's talk about 2043 when they'll be in their 20s or 30s. Mm-hmm. They will have grown up in an environment of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That mother will be able to pass the baton on to them because mm-hmm. it won't be foreign to them. They'll yeah. understand a business plan. They'll understand cash flow. They'll understand P&L. They'll understand e-commerce. They'll be so much further ahead as entrepreneurs because they were raised in that environment. Mm-hmm. And those are the kind of things you want to do. You want to make sure that not so much for this generation, but I feel for the generation for 2043 and beyond, we've got to do something to make sure that they're successful. Yep. yep. And that's the information when running a business or when you're trying to, you know, establish yourself as a business entity that's like relatively gatekept, right? It's it's knowing, you know, what documents you need, you know, it's what um, forms you need to fill and things and, and numbers that you need to have so you can really grow and scale like, you know, at a very small scale. It's, you know, you could probably get by with not having a lot of these things, but then when start things start to take off like you're going to need these things that aren't common knowledge yeah. mm-hmm. so what you did is you made it very accessible you made this really gate kept information that is necessary and you made it very accessible to just about everybody and that's pretty incredible yeah it, I, it's been i've had a lot of fun you know um quick story about my older my my oldest brother passed away and so i just had my one brother and uh we were having a conversation one time, and again, my oldest brother was a jazz pianist, and he stopped playing. And you know, I could talk to him about music, but he wouldn't play. And I was at my 
my surviving brother's name is Kermit. I said, Kermit, what's going on with art? And he said, art lost relevance. You know, he grew up, you know, my art was in Paris with Quincy Jones. He was in mm-hmm. Paris with Louis Armstrong, Ella Fitzgerald. They all came through his club that he owned in Paris. But Quincy Jones went on to score music. He went on to work with Michael Jackson. He kept being relevant. And he said, Joe, if you're going to be successful, you've got to stay relevant. Yes, absolutely. And it always resonated with me. So I always tell, you know, people in my age group, I said, you might not, you might not be on TikTok, but you've got to understand what TikTok is. You've got to be conversational. Exactly. Try yeah. to. Yeah. I don't understand what TikTok is. Nobody <laughs> does. That algorithm is insane. Well, see, that's the thing. You know, it's when people go deep in the woods about algorithms and, and then this, that, and the other. But you have to understand the concept. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's been great for me to have people come on and talk about TikTok, Facebook, Google My Business, LinkedIn, how to be successful there, how to use a platform like uh, like uh, Jarvis that uses AI. Mm-hmm where you can literally become a writer just by putting together words and AI can take it over and write a book for you. It's crazy. You know, so, so just think about the world, mm-hmm. what it'll be like in, you know, 20 or 30 years. So, so, so to me, to stay relevant and not be that old guy that's sitting in a mall and, you know, watching the world go by. Right. You know, it's been very interesting. And then they teach me. The ability, you know, my goal is to be able to, Make sure that by working with interns is something I've seen that in three months' time, I want to be able to make that equivalent to a year of experience. Not for them. That's what they deserve that. But more for the senior and the mid-level because we need to ramp up more quickly. And that's really where, you know, I'm sitting here going, I I believe I know how to do that. And I do know how to do that. And I'm going, ooh. I want to be able to share that yeah. and scale it. Yeah, they were. we had a, a family reunion last year on Zoom. And uh, so anyway, you know, one of my grandnieces set it up. I, I want to be in your family. <laughs> I just honestly <laughs> want to be a part of your family. I'm just going, oh, my God, I feel like I'm missing something now. So anyway, you know, they always, you know, they always yeah. view you. As, oh, you know, that's Isabella. You know, she's old. She doesn't really know that. Joe yeah. doesn't really know. So they get on Zoom and they're fumbling around with it. I said, well, you're not doing this right. You're not doing that right. And then it worked. And they're like, Uncle Joe, you knew. So it's, it's kind of like. Like, how do you know how yeah, to do exactly. that? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, it's always. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, that, you know, I'm not, I'm not holding the phone like this. And it's, I'm upside down there seeing the floor <laughs> yeah. or anything like that. So, so yeah, it's always fun to, uh, you know, to talk to them. But, uh, but yeah, I, I've enjoyed this ride. I've mm. really enjoyed this ride. And you need to talk to my parents. You got to get them right because they don't know what they're doing with, <laughs> with Zoom. or. But, man, I mean, think about it. You know, we went through the pandemic in regards to getting shots. Right. And my wife and I wanted to get our shots in January. But because I was very comfortable with the computer, got on the computer within an hour, we had an appointment, we were good to go. Yep. And I was at my doctor's, and she was talking about her parents. And her parents, they couldn't, you know, she had to go to the house, set it up, you know. But you've got to stay relevant. Yeah. You've, you know, you've got to stay up with things. And, and I know it's hard. It's hard because it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. You know, the technology can be very overwhelming. Specifically mm-hmm. in the industry that you're in, right? It's You're it's you're pretty fortunate that in the industry you're in, um, it kind of lends itself to, like, new, newer technology, right? Yeah. I feel like, um, like my dad, for instance, uh, he clears land, so commercial land clearing, and he's just worked with his hands for his whole life. And he worked, he operates the same heavy machinery that he's been working with for the past 25 years now. So, like... 
You know what I mean? Now he's they've been acquired by a new business and they're integrating things like, you know, WhatsApp and they're trying to like do this group text message thing. And, you know, my dad's like, what is all we this isn't what we do. And so he's like a little confused and kind of like struggling to learn this new technology. But it's funny you say that because on the flip side, at least a third of the entrepreneurs have an issue with interpersonal relationships Mm. because you tell them eventually you've got to sit across the desk from somebody and convince them to use your product. Right. Mm -hmm. And that takes people skills. Mm -hmm. You can't do that always on an app. You Mm -hmm. can't do that on the internet. Literally Matt, you know, you know, this is my value proposition. This is what differentiates. This is how I can help you grow your business. Right. The human to human aspect is something that I believe I've seen millennials and Gen Z and probably the next one. Um, struggle with because they're used to more things that are technology based they are are just so reticent they do not want to have to have phone calls or because there's no do-over you you can only speak and then it's like oh but I didn't say that the way I meant so there's this real fear of doing things in real time even with the videos TikTok or whatever I mean they do have an option to go back and change a video they can snip anything out that they don't Mm -hmm. want to have seen is like oh that's not how i want to portray myself my life whatever so i feel like um the what you're hitting on the head is the real ability to have those human skills to interact it's just so vital but also you know the you know when we talk about technology i've said this i you know i grew up as a baby boomer my love was a car Car was my freedom. Oh, Car it's a freedom was, for everybody, right? Was our escape, yeah. right? For for the generations, the Gen Zs, the millennials, it's the phone. The phone is their car. Yeah. It gives them access. It gives them freedom. But one of the things that, you know, I think we've got to really deal with, especially over the next 10 years, is that access. You know, just like you have to be 16 years old to get a learner's permit. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should be 16 years old to get on social media. Yeah. You know, especially after, I mean, if you read the Facebook files, I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, it yeah. was, it was, I mean, if, you know, I, you know, I worked for Johnson and Johnson doing the Tylenol scare and how that was handled and how mm-hmm. Facebook is handling, you know, what, what the, what's going on with Instagram, what's going on in regards to their algorithms on, you know, just you know, human trafficking. Mm-hmm. And the third thing is divisiveness. You know, you know, we've, you know, we've got a, we've got issues that we've got to deal with in regards to technology that I'm not really sure we have the people in place. You know, I always kid one of the, our presenters, his name is Lionel and he does the tech part. And I always get, I said, Lionel, you know, I'm on AOL. So always keep it simple for me. So we have people in power that are on AOL. They really don't understand technology. And we've got issues in regards to technology. I mean, it, you almost have to compare it to the breakup of Standard Oil mm. back in the, you know, back My then. My grandfather it, worked for that company. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. He, you know, so, you know, we have a monopolized situation. So how do you break up a Facebook? How do you break up a Google? How do you put in guardrails, you know, for young girls that because of image problems are committing suicide? I mean, if you look at, you know, the growth rate among that, that, that sector, you kind of go, what were you thinking? Because you didn't want to lose subscribers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, you know, when we heard about Tylenol 
we lost 50% share overnight. McNeil did. 50% market share. Wow. Boom, just like that. They took Tylenol off the shelves for two weeks. We had a conference call uh, the following the third week, and we were told, you're going to receive five cases of Tylenol. I worked in the OR then. I was selling in the OR. I'll never forget it. We had the conference call. I said, okay, you'll get five cases of Tylenol. You're going to take it into the OR and hand it out because we've got to regain the share because the product is safe. You know, everyone's good to go. And I was up all night. I'm going, oh, my God, I got to, you know, where do I go? Who do I want to see? How am I going to deal? I mean, you know, people died. And I walked into Shadyside Hospital into their OR, and I'll never forget it. The OR supervisor came up to me and said, hey, Joe, how you? It's like, you know, 5.30 in the morning. I said, hey, I've got this situation. I've got to give out, you know, this Tylenol. I'm kind of concerned. What will the doctor say? She said, who do you work for? I said, Johnson & Johnson. I said, what do you have? The credo. The credo is the standard of that, of that corporation. And she said, Joe, come with me. We went in the OR. We went in the uh, doctor's lounge. She was next to me. She said, hey, come over here. He's got free Tylenol. It was like a no-brainer. The trust that that company had built up over the years mm. because they followed the credo. And I think still to this day is considered one of the classic cases that they, they utilized at the Harvard Business School of yeah. how a corporation handled it. They a were crisis. able to really handle it well. Yeah. You know, do no harm yeah. is the credo. But, you know, it wasn't that the company meant to do any harm, but they, the way in post, truly good triage and handling. Yeah, yeah they, and they said that they followed the credo. They pulled the product <laughs> off the shelves. They took the hit. But to stand by and say, well, we don't want to lose share. I mean, you've got 4.2 billion hmm. subscribers. Yeah. 4.2 billion. You can't risk losing 10% of that? Yeah, you have to. So rip the Band-Aid off, no pun intended there, Johnson & Johnson, and then they yeah. fixed it. <laughs> yeah. um, we're only going to do one more question because then we're going to go into the next half of the show because this is, <laughs> we could do this for like three more oh, episodes. You brought up so yeah. many great points I yeah. want to talk about. Yeah. So um, I'm going to jump to uh, this question. And so, Matt, you take nine and I'm going to take eight. Who is the most influential person in your life and why? I think I know who it is, <laughs> but I want to see what you're going to tell me. It would have to be Albert and Hetty Simmons. Okay, I did. Wait, is that your dad? Yeah. Yes. Okay, I nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it should have been your parents. Fist bump. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm very proud of them. Oh, well, yeah. I could totally tell. You know why? Because they are they are the dream parents that every child wishes they had. Yeah. 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 Truly. Yeah. Okay, Matt. Um, what is... Okay. What is your signature meal that you could whip up with your eyes closed? Uh, it's the easiest meal. Seafood boil. Yum. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I cooked it for uh, our friends about three weeks ago, and they, we had a great time. You know, it's one of those foods, kind of a communal food. Mm -hmm. You sit around the table. You've got the lobster, the sausages. And you just, you know, people just, ah. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> you can't talk about food this serious. early. I'm ready, I'm ready to get into some lobster now. <laughs> Give me the crab and give me the shrimp. Well, probably the crab. Okay. Is that, I want to ask real quick though, is that, is that from like, is that kind of like a comfort food that you kind of got from your family or is that something that you've just kind of developed on your own? It was one of those things I, I kind of developed on my own. My, yeah. uh, my brother used to always kid me uh, because whenever we get together on, on the holidays, my mother, I was, I was spoiled. I'll, you know, I'll open up and say I was spoiled because I was the last one. Yeah. 
So anyway, my mother used to always say little, you know, Joe always loved spaghetti. So she would, you know, she would just make me spaghetti and my wife, Greta, would just go nuts. So why would you go, you know, go home and down your mom's got to cook. I said, I can't stop her from cooking for me. So she would always make me spaghetti and you know, spaghetti and meatballs. And my brothers would kid me about it. My sisters would kid me about it. So I, I tried to make spaghetti <laughs> like her. It was a failure. <laughs> so I said, you know what? Let me come up with something a little bit. And it's boiling water. Right. So you can't go wrong with boiling water. You cannot. Right? For a guy, right. it's not complicated. You know, like eight minutes this, four minutes this. It's done. You know, in 30 minutes, you got a meal. Mm. So, yeah, that's, that's my go-to. That's awesome. It's super yummy. All right. So we're going to take just a few minutes to acknowledge our sponsor, <coughs> and we will be back to the show. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. All right. This part of our show, we talk about the future of jobs and industries in 2030, but you're saying 2043. So why 2043? Tell us that story. Well, if you look at the statistics, uh, they're projecting by 2043, we'll be a majority minority company. I'm a majority minority country. Sorry about that. You'll have to define that for our listeners and me. Okay. So if you look at the population now and then look at it in 2043, you will have over 50% of the population will be Latin, Asian and black. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that'll compose up more than 50% of the population. So think of the dynamics of that. Look at a TV screen. You know, I watch religiously, as I said before, CNBC in the morning, Mm -hmm. you will, you will see a person of color, maybe five times. Okay. In the morning, all of a sudden you're going to have a power shift. You're going to have a shift in population in regards to who holds power and who wants to give up power, more importantly. Mm. That's going to be the, that's what we're battling right now. You can see it with the election laws that were changed in Arizona, Texas, and Georgia. You know, people don't want to give up power. No, who does? I mean, it goes back to, honestly, you want to have the control that you think you have in your life. And really the only thing that you can control if you're mature, is how you react to things. You have zero control over everything in life, I think. I can't control, a, an a, to a certain extent, an animal or kids or whatever. But, you know, we think we have control, but I yeah. don't think we do. Right now, 60% of the, the power, for lack of a better term, is controlled by white males. So in 2043, again, you've got this clash. You have people that are a majority, brown skin. Are you still going to have a situation in a country where 60% of those people hold power? You can't. You know, by 2020, um, this was about five, six years ago, I had looked up, you know, just to see, like, what was the racial mix going to look like? By 2020, it was estimated that the Latin uh, community would be surpassing any of the Caucasians. And if you think about it, it all makes sense because there's a lot more um, immigration that comes in from outside Central South America. There's also the families are larger. Traditionally, they're larger, so there is more people in there. Caucasian families, a little bit smaller. Black families will have larger families, too. So it makes sense that the numbers are going to shift. So in my view, it boils down to access. Mm -hmm. It boils down to who has access to resources, who has access to capital, 
who has access to power. So the power part is we're playing out right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard a great podcast. Not to, this is a great podcast. Oh, there like, are so many out there. I'm not uh, offended, believe me. But there was a, a podcast and it had, uh, I forget who the speaker was, but they brought up, we're in this moment of reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. now all of a sudden you're looking at people saying, you know what, we literally could see very shortly a woman be president of the United States. Oh, yeah. When 20 years we could also see a Latino, an Asian become president. So you can kind of foresee where things are going. So you look at businesses and you kind of go, okay, it's been proven statistically that diverse businesses are successful. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it only is a matter of time to see in the C-suite people of color and women. I think that was one of the biggest things I feel like shifted in the mindset is last year, uh, George Floyd's death, all of those other deaths that had happened is like, it was like a tsunami and boom, everything began to shift and it was not without, you know, a cost, but the cost is benefiting a lot of people now. And you'll see it on business. I mean, you know, like I can turn on against the business networks. You'll see more women. Women have a larger presence on air. So that tells me that eventually they'll move into the C-suite, just like in the 20s with the suffrage movement, where the right to vote was led by women, you know, blacks and people of color. It had to wait until the 50s and 60s to get that done. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of seeing that same kind of play Mm -hmm. unfold in front of our eyes. So 20, you know, over the next 10 years, it's going to be tumultuous. I mean, you know, we're dealing, you know, business-wise, you look at China, China is is pretty much pulling in its borders. They are going to, you know, not be as vibrant for the U.S. economy as as what it's been in the past. So how do we handle that? Again, we were talking earlier about technology. You know, how do we handle access to technology? How do how you know during the the pandemic, one of the one of the, the poorest things that happened was that poor communities did not have access to high speed internet. It neutered learning and it neutered business. Mm-hmm. So how do we change that? How do we change access? How do we gain access? The other thing is we talk about AI. Mm-hmm. You know, think about what AI will do. You know, and again, as I talked about earlier, do we have people in power that understand? the give and take of AI. You know, we saw what, you know, what we're dealing with with Facebook. We saw what we're dealing with with Google, the power that they have and unreigned power. What do we do when we're in a situation where we have autonomous cars? How does it affect, you know, how we deliver goods? What happens to those drivers of long haul trucks? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, AI will be able to do, you know, Elon Musk, you know, brought out that robot that was 120 pounds. Yeah. At the Olympics, they had a robot play basketball. Mm-hmm. So for that kid that thinks that he's going to be in the NBA, and I'm an owner of an NBA team, what is my highest? What is the highest cost that I have? Humans. Labor. Humans. If I can replace that with a robot, I don't know if I'd want to go and watch a robot play basketball. It would be an avatar. Uh. Yeah. I like people. Well, you grow, I mean, you play games, right? Right. Are they avatars? Yeah, they are. And how popular is it? It's probably the most popular. It's one of the biggest industries out right now. Yeah. So if you look at evolution, right? I mean, not so much for this generation, but for two generations from now, again, 
that entrepreneur that had the two daughters, mm -hmm. her sons or daughters might be looking at a whole new world because of AI. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, AI can replicate and replicate and replicate. What happens to those marginal people? Mm. You know, those are all the things we have to start thinking about now. You know, not so much maybe for 2024, but by 2043, this world will be, you know, it, it, you know, we've got some challenges that we've got to really got to get our hands around, you know, and I'm not really, I'm not as comfortable having somebody 80 years old or 70 years old thinking that they can really think through algorithms. Right. You're proposing two different futures kind of that are going to work simultaneously, right? Like one is a little bit more optimistic where it's like a more blended, like truly um, like a true mixing, like melting pot of, of all different ethnicities, right? Where the, the um, minority is now the majority, which is like what hopefully would make it um, more truly integrated, right? Not, not the integration that we're seeing now where it's like, well, we need to have like this person on the screen because we need to meet a quota of having at least mm. One black there person for every five white people, right? But well, it'll be a more true, like, integration of that. And then you're also proposing a future where it's a little bit bleaker because mm -hmm. jobs are being lost due to technology and advancement. And then you're having older people who aren't really in tune with what's going on. And the technology is moving faster than our legislative system is. Or then, you know, so it's like, how do those two things? But there's actually four. There's four examples. And uh, World Economic Forum had had uh, shared what those four worlds would look like. And he is hitting it on the head, but it's like, well, we could either be going blue, yellow, green, or red. And they all have different types of uh, outcomes. So, yeah, you have to really think through um, what are we actually shaping now? We are shaping which one of these dimensions that we want to live in. Yeah. You know, and does that mean we're playing God with where some of those marginal people what happens to them where yeah. do they go i mean think about it, you know autonomous <clears throat> excuse me ai can do a lot of the manual labor i mean you think about florida picking oranges robots can pick like they can clean rooms now yep. somebody somebody was the guest right somebody had we just had a guest and they were served by a robot in a restaurant so you can use so many of these um automated processes as well as solutions that can bring, like they use robots in surgery. So where is it that we are actually wanting to draw the line and say, no, this needs to be human and this needs to be where we, we won't cross it. And yet still, that will still get crossed. And the thing is, you know, you look at history. Again, you go back to the Industrial Revolution. Yes. You know, we chose money over humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, now we're at that inflection point again. We're moving very, very close to it. Fourth well, industrial revolution. Exactly. The tech. Yeah. I mean, tech is just, I mean, it'll, it is just such, I mean, for any group of people to be successful, you've got to have scale. Hmm. Tech gives you scale. Yes. You know, that's where the money is. I mean, if you have an engineering background and you can start it between 150 to a quarter of a million dollars a year, plus mm -hmm. stock options. I mean, that's one of the things they talk about with in this new world. Two things will matter, equity and land. Yes. So will we be in a position to have equity and will we also be in a position to have land? And it's really interesting because of um, how governments want to stimulate economic incentives. So they'll allow people that are outside of our countries, and it's in every country, 
where you can pay X amount of dollars and you can get to the front of the line when you're getting immigration. And they take that those dollars and turn it and invest it into some type of business. And so you can be a part of that business. That's where some of the equity comes into play. But you can also come in to the commercial real estate side of it and be buying land. So how many people actually that are Americans, there's a lot of speculation on this, own land in here versus how many of them are outside of the United States? And That's a very good question. That's yeah. a very good one. I know that, God, you know. Like how much does China own of yeah. this, this country? Yeah. You they know? own quite a bit of our debt. So they would have to own property too. I mean, we don't have, that's one of the, the beauties of living here is that, you know, you can be a, you know, um, another from another country and own property here. Whereas you go to other countries, that's, that's not the case. That's another thing that we're going to have to deal with. If they own property, then they don't, but they also have access to resources. They have access to the properties that you need to make batteries. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, if we're going to go electric. Well, guess what? You're going to have to have a battery system. What is the, where the resources come for batteries? Mm-hmm. Afghanistan, Chile, Sierra Leone. Yeah. You know, do we have access to those countries? You know, we left Afghanistan. Yeah. Right. Do we have a presence in Chile? You know, maybe a half of Americans don't know where Chile is. Right. You know, or Sierra Leone. Probably 10% know where Sierra Leone is. Yeah. So I those mean. are all the things that we've got to deal with. You know, it's, you know, you always, you're in business, we always say, you know, next year is going to be the most demanding year of, you know, of, of this business. Well, guess what? They're not lying. The next 10 years, or like the question that you ask, you know, over the next 10 years, you know, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. You mm-hmm. know, because like you said, there are four or five buckets that we could, four or five avenues that we could go down mm-hmm. and really come out on the better. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. there's also one or two that we can go down and it could be very, very bleak. More than two, for sure. There's oh, a couple. Yeah. There's yeah. a couple avenues that you just don't want to travel down that we're kind of already moving our way through. Yeah. We talk a lot about um, science fiction movies, and we did not use this question. <laughs> However, um, usually it's like, do you believe there's life on, uh, outside of you know this world? But we didn't do that. However, science fiction movies, I think that they're very predictive as to what we should expect. And those, um, like there was, it's uh, The Handmaiden's Tale. And I was watching some of this show, and I went, you know, I can see that happening where the freedoms of women would be stripped away and it was going to be a very different yeah. world. I said, I, I could see that possibly happening even here in this country. So I, I feel like... I thought you were going to say Ex Machina. Yeah, oh, <laughs> oh great movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I just really feel like there's a lot uh, that can happen and it just depends. People need to wake up. Yeah, it's uh, and be yeah. living in you know looking at the future, not being just here. We always are told be present. That's true. Be present with the people that you're with, but you also need to be predictive and going well. Not predictive in the sense of like, okay, what is it I predict is going to happen? You need to be forward thinking and going. Okay, I've got to be thinking about what would my job look like five, ten years from now. And that used to be an interview yeah. question, and it still should yeah. be because we need to be thinking like that. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I remember when I first started my business career, that was one of the questions. You're absolutely right. They ask you, it's like, <clears throat> where do you see yourself in five years? Right. And do you have a plan, you know, to achieve that in five years? Businesses had five-year, 10 years, and 15-year plans. Yeah. That's all changed. You know, everything is, okay, how can I either, you know, 
cap out as quickly as I can? Or, you know, do I really want to, you know, everything. Grow into global dominance. Yeah. It's it's all this immediacy. I got to have it now. And then, you know, whatever happens after that, I'm good. Well, I mean, that just comes from our technology and our instant gratification that we have. Just, you know what I mean? Like you have a never ending stream of entertainment on your phone. You're never time for boredom. Like you just need everything now, immediately, instantly, always. It's a false expectation of how people are supposed to communicate. I texted you. Why didn't you answer me? I called you. You know, why didn't you? Hello, that's what voice message is for. My Netflix is buffering. Why isn't it loading right this second? (laughs) I need it now. Like, yeah, they don't remember dial up. Yeah. No, they don't. Yeah. I've seen, yeah. Anyway, um, so where I believe that there will be more focus is on um, environmental issues, sustainability, space travel. I'm going to tell you, I absolutely believe um, Bezos and uh, Musk, they they know stuff that we don't know. But I really, climate change is real. So where are we going to go? It's either we're going outside of this world and we're going to be living in some space station or Star Trek or doing something like that because where do we go? So space travel, transportation, you mentioned autonomous driving cars, and then healthcare, social innovation, and education. Those are industries that are going to have a lot going on. And we can look at education personally. You know, I'm an educator. I I think that colleges are... What they were is a place to go and get socially acclimated and to figure out who you are. You don't have to do that anymore. You can get a certificate and you can be working yeah. the very next day. The only reason that people really need to go to college is um, lawyers, doctors, if you're going to be professors, um, maybe something else that's out there that I haven't thought about that's relatively big because you can become an architect Learn CAD online. You don't have to do these things. Or you have AI. You need to know how to program. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, think about it. But that's the, in every industry. The topics that you met, just mentioned, AI can do legal work, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? It can do design, mm-hmm. right? If you have a printer, it can print and build. Right. So as you kind of, you know, kind of go through the food chain, you kind of go, okay, what do I need education for? You just need to be self-motivated and go, yes, this is yeah. the career path I want to go. Yeah. Yeah. I just, or and just then you go back to accessibility reason. and go, okay, who are the people that have accessibility yeah. to be able to tap into that knowledge? That's going to be the key. I'll, I'll always go back to that. Access is <clears throat> the good and the bad and the ugly. You know, if you've got it, it's all good. If you don't have it, it's very negative. But how do we handle the, that that marginal and how big is that that marginal part? That'll be a, a critical part of our success. But wow, you know, you look at climate change, and uh, you know, man is a very adaptable organism. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you know we grow web feet if we you know will evolve and have web web feet. I don't know. You know, it, it'll be you know you you like you say you look at these science fiction movies. Yeah. Because remember, you know, I'm old enough to remember Buck Rogers <laughs> and how corny that was. Yeah, someone's going to go to the Mars and going to go to the moon. But that's reality yeah. now. I mean, we think nothing of someone going to the moon or, like you said, Bezos and Musk and Branson, you know, yeah, going, I into, forgot about him, yeah. and going into outer orbit. I mean, that's so maybe we do colonize another country if this country, become, if if this planet becomes uninhabitable. But then you need, like you said, collaboration. Yep. 
would China be willing to collaborate with us in regards to space travel? Yeah. You know, France? I don't know. It Australia. depends on how well they've been playing up there in the, uh, the they have an international space station up there. Yeah. And like, I don't hear a lot of, well, and I don't research it in all fairness, <clears throat> but I don't know, Matt. I don't know what you know. Feel free to chime in. But I don't know how much collaboration is going on in the International Space Station. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I'm going to have to go look that up I, I think the like, show gets over. I, th I think there's, I mean, just like reading on like, you know, Musk and how he wanted to start with his rockets, it didn't seem like there was a lot of collaboration just at all. Just like the, like the price point that he was looking to like buy old technology for. And he was like, I could just build this myself even cheaper. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Because there wasn't that openness for collaboration. I mean, I think that was with Russia. Don't quote me on that, but I think that was with Russia. But like it. I, it has never seemed like in the past that, you know, everybody has been open for collaboration, particularly with space. You know, it's always been the space race. Who can yeah. get there first? Who yeah, can do right. it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like putting Sputnik up and, well, we kind of yeah. beat them because we're on the first man on the moon, but they beat us because they're, and it's all a, a competition when it's really like, we're kind of burning ourselves out down here, guys. It shouldn't really be a competition as much as it should be like getting together yeah. and trying to get off. Yeah. So I agree. Okay. So we are coming pretty close to the end. I don't know what time we actually started, but I've been enjoying the whole show here. Um, all right. So best mentoring advice that you have received and you want to pass on, I'm going to guess it's something that your parents shared with you. I'm going to surprise you. All right. <laughs> I'm a, uh, I'm going to quote Jack Welsh. Oh, and so I'm going good. to, and I'm going to say five things. And uh, the five things are you have to over deliver. Mm-hmm. Number two, you have to flawlessly execute your marketing plan. Mm -hmm. Number three, you have to hire, recruit, and retain talent. Yes. Most importantly, you have to have the ability to say no. You know, you look back, I was reading about Steve Jobs, and one of the things he said was that probably my biggest success is the things that I said no to. You know, and I think a lot of business, business people would agree to that. And the last thing is energy. You know, you've got to bring energy to your job. You got to bring energy every day and people feed off that. So I always tell the entrepreneurs, you know, they come through our center. I said, there are three things that two things that you come through the door with skills and talent. Mm -hmm. What will separate you are these three things, commitment, execution, and discipline. It's not rocket science. Yeah, that's true. That's that awesome. True. I usually tell them it's what's in your head and your heart, which is the same yeah. thing, honestly. You know, it's that passion. It's going to be like, how are you going to solve the problems? Um, that is everything. It's the traits that you have inside yeah. that determine how far you will go. Yeah. Commitment. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a lot of what my mentors have said, too, when I've asked them, like, what can I do to make myself stand out from, like, the crowd? Or what do you think the most crucial piece of information I should have to set myself above, you know, other competitors in the industry that I'm in? And every single one of them without fail is just like, just be a good person, man. Like just, just be a good guy. And like, that'll set you apart because you can teach technical skills. You can teach all this stuff, but what you can't like, what you can't teach is just like being personable and just like having a, like a good attitude towards things. And it's just liking people, yeah. being kind to them, just yeah. be nice to people and yeah. just be relatable and, and, you know, give it your all and, yeah. and you'll do fine. Yeah. I heard one of my, one of my managers once told me that you can't coach character. Mm. Mm -mm. You know, you, like you said, either you have it or you don't. There's I'm no going to give a little shout out to Becca because I know she's going to go and listen to this. 
Becca is the assistant producer. I'm going to tell you, I was saying this to Matt about her. And I even asked her yesterday, I said, Becca, are your ears burning? Because you are just like on fire. She is very proactive. She's really good at communicating with me and saying, okay, how is this? Her time management is just off the charts. I, I cannot even begin to say, if I had 10 of her, it would be running yeah. like a well-oiled yeah. machine. She takes feedback so well. She's always pleased and thank you. So, Becca, this show is just a, like a little shout-out for you. You're awesome. Yeah. That'll make her day. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I'm going to do the same for Nick and also for Alex. So, Nick and Alex, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. And then we'll say the same for Matt, who has been here with me. And then uh, Dave and also Miguel. They've been doing a lot of the sound effects and stuff. So I really appreciate all of these people. Thank you so much. They I appreciate that. make it all that. look good. Yeah, thank you. It's thank been you. very enjoyable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How, can our contactors, or how can our listeners contact you? Sure. Um, they can go to our website, which is uh, tcmet.org. Uh, we're also on LinkedIn. We're on Google My Business and Facebook, as well as we have a YouTube channel. You don't have Instagram? No, we found that. We're, we'd like the three. Most business people tend to focus on three. And when it comes to education, they'll go to LinkedIn, you know, because. Oh, I, LinkedIn yeah. is the only one yeah. I think is, yeah. yeah. So I remember I serve two communities. I've got the entrepreneurs coming through. Then I've also got content with the presenters. So mm -hmm. those three are pretty much the foundation of, of our organization. Yeah, YouTube is a really good one yeah. also. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, and how can they reach you? Do you want them to connect with you on LinkedIn? Or? Sure. Joseph Simmons. There's only one. S-I-M-M-O-N-S. -M -M like the mattress. All right. Well, um, so here we are at the end of our show. We want to say thank you to our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and our production team, Becca Coffey, associate producer, intern, video and audio editing, Nick Morales, Alex Teal, Ayana Sanders, Steve Neese, and sound and music engineers, Dave Francis, Matt Miller, and Miguel Central, who is our sound engineer intern. So employers, visit our website, um, www.e4c.tech. And just as a little reminder, we have shifted our name from Intern Pursuit to Employers for Change. It really speaks to the quality of the employers that come and work with um, in our platform and with our interns here that are here to uh, make everybody look great. So thank you for supporting the Intern Whisperer and subscribe to our show on Podbean or your favorite podcast channel.